I'll be reading verses 24 to 29. And I don't think we'll get any further than verse 25 today. So we may only get two of the points out of the four on your bulletin this morning, okay? All right, verse, 25, verse 24. Most assuredly I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment but his past from death into life. Most assuredly I say to you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in Himself, so He has granted the Son to have life in Himself and has given Him authority to execute judgment also because He is the Son of God, Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear His voice and come forth. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life, those that have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. This is the Word of God. This is the words of the Lord Jesus Christ as He stood before the hypocritical Pharisees of His day declaring His deity. Equality with God the Father. So I ask that you bow in prayer that God would prepare our hearts to receive what His Word has to say to each one of us today. Our Father in Heaven, we, we thank You. Praise You for Your church for your redeeming work in our lives, your saving grace that has lifted us from the spiritual grave, taking our fallen, sinful, depraved natures and transforming them to the nature of our Savior, Jesus Christ. I pray, Father, if there's anyone here this morning that is not a true believer, that you'll break them in spirit bring them to true repentance grant them repentance and the ability to believe today we pray and may the church grow today in humility for the glory of our Savior Jesus Christ for it's in his name we pray Amen the resurrection of the spiritually dead is what we're going to talk about today the glorious grace of God given spiritual life granted by God to the sinner there's a lot of deception today within the professing church of Jesus Christ. There are many who claim to be saved, who cannot reiterate what the biblical gospel is, let alone live a life that is reflective of someone who has been justified by grace through faith alone. Humility, meekness, and a hunger for righteousness are virtues that are noticeably non-existent within the mass populace of supposed Christendom today. The true gospel is Christ calling spiritually dead sinners to life, commanding them not to a life of self-fulfillment, which is so audaciously taught today, but rather to a life of God-honoring self-denial. To become slaves of Christ. Many claim slavery of Christ. They're quick to talk about it, but they rarely walk it. Much of contemporary evangelicalism today is led by pastors who present Jesus as some sort of active genie. You just rub the lamp and he's ready to fulfill your every commanded request. <laughs> Countless pastors have ceased preaching the true gospel and have 
resorted to shtick, to comedy, and methods of entertainment that draws a crowd. All for the sake of being popular. All for the sake of being ex accepted by the unregenerate community. The unsaved community that they would approve and applaud and cheer their doctrinally impotent pep talks. Yet popularity never helped the ministry of Jesus. John MacArthur comments on the popularity of Jesus in his book, Hard to Believe, when he says, and I quote, When Jesus was popular, he attracted the most shallow, fun seekers. Genuine disciples were drawn not by showbiz, but by the truth, the power, and the character of his message. Christianity has to be very careful when it's popular. The action and excitement of a crowd captivate people. They gather in sports stadiums or large auditoriums or a church to be part of a big event. There's energy, almost a pep rally feel, but many of the, particip many of the participants are there for the crowd and not the crown. They're looking for some miraculous intervention on their behalf or the promise of something they can cash in on or just a good show. End quote. Now, if the whole counsel of God is being taught where the spiritually dead are in attendance, they're either going to get saved under such teaching or they're going to leave. They're going to depart. They're not going to hang around for very long in such a condition as this. The condition of spiritual deadness. They'll either become very sporadic in their attendance or they'll attempt to find a place that will suit their spiritually dead carcass. And that's typically an entertainment center that has the word a church attached to it. You know, America is blanketed with buildings that have steeples on top of them that are full of spiritually dead people. They're tombs. And they are the people in which Jesus said are on the broad road that leads to hell. I was in Alabama last week. Had a very blessed time. Very encouraged by two of the greatest Bible expositors in the world, really. Had a very personal time there. It was very much a blessing. But I noticed while I was in Alabama, you can't drive a quarter of a mile without seeing a church. And throughout this land, from the traditional church steeples to the more contemporary Disneyland-looking type of structures, the majority of those buildings are filled with spiritually dead people. On the other hand, whenever the true gospel is preached, verse by verse, teaching God's people the whole counsel of God, people are going to fall into a place of conviction. If they stick around long enough. And most often it's the case that those who consider under such teaching for a consistent long period of time root themselves and ground themselves in such a church it reveals that they're saved in the first place. Not always, but most often. God's people within the true church have a heart's desire to serve the Master. And when you're a slave of Christ and a servant of the Master, you serve His people and you edify and build up the people, build them up for the glory of God. A slave of Christ, a servant of the people, without an agenda of self-promotion. 
Jesus said in Luke 14, 26, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. In other words, a competing loyalty that would be cause for one not to surrender fully to Jesus Christ cannot therefore be his disciple. The pressure of an unbelieving family included. The only person that is capable of carrying a cross and following Jesus Christ is someone who's been made alive and that is ready to die. A spiritually dead man, a spiritually dead woman cannot spiritually follow Christ. Many attempt to do so outwardly. Many attempt to do so in their own strength. They stick around for a while, but eventually they disappear. Jesus said the seed is the word, and the word is always good, and the word is always effective. The seed goes out, and it falls upon differing types of soil. One, it falls, and the birds take it away, he snatches it away, it never even enters the ear gate of the mind, it's snatched away by the devil. Others fall upon stony ground. A little bit of soil, a whole lot of stone. It sprouts up, sprouts up quick. Oh yeah, I want some of that Jesus. The sun comes out, it scorches it, it withers, it dies. Some fall upon the thorns and the thistles. It grows up, it grows up tall, and it gets choked out by the cares of the world. Looked like it was real, it never was real. But then there's the seed that falls upon fertile soil. That soil's good. The Word's always good. The Word's always powerful. The word hardens to unbelief and the word softens to repentance and true belief. And the good soil, it takes it, it reproduces it, some 30, some 60, some 100 fold, but it reproduces. This morning we're going to look at the claims of Jesus Christ to the hypocritical religious Pharisees that were standing before him as he declares the fact that he is the resurrection power, that he is the life, and that he is the only one who raises the spiritually and physically dead. One is just as easy as the other for Jesus Christ. Spiritual deadness and physical deadness, it matters not. Because he is the resurrection and the life. So, in other words, as he stands here today, in this text, as we will see today, he was declaring equality with the Father, which is equivalent to saying, I am. I am what? I am God. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. Now, if we recall, as you look at John chapter 5, you will see that verses 17 to 47 are a discourse of Jesus Christ regarding his deity as he makes these claims to the hypocritical Pharisees that were standing before him, accusing him of being a blasphemer and a Sabbath violator. Everything that Christ says from verse 17 through 47 is a result of the confrontation that took place in the first 16 verses. If you remember, Jesus healed a paralyzed man at the pool of Bethesda on the Sabbath day. That man was laying among many other paralyzed, sick, moaning, and groaning people. Jesus walks into the double pools, surrounded by five porticos, five porches. He walks in, he walks up to him, he says, do you want to be made well? Well, I have no one to throw me in the pool when the angel stirs up the water. Jesus goes on to command him, get up, take up your bed, and walk. The commanded, authoritative word of Jesus Christ. 
And when the Pharisees recognized this man carrying his mat that he laid upon for 38 years as a cripple, asked him why he was carrying his mat on a Sabbath. And then the man blamed it on Jesus. And as I said before, it's always good to blame things on Jesus. If you're getting persecuted for the sake of righteousness, you point to Christ. He said, Jesus made me well. So they accused Jesus of violating the Sabbath. Jesus stands here and he begins to claim his deity, proclaiming equality with Christ, so he graduates in their eyes from Sabbath violator to blasphemer. Verse 18. The Jews sought all the more to kill him because he not only broke the Sabbath, but also said that God was his father, making himself equal with God. So instead of denying their accusations here, he claims to be God. He certified it. In seven ways, as we looked at last time. He proceeded to claim equality with the Father and eternal works in verses 17 to 18. Jesus also claimed equality of divine will. Equality of divine will in verse 19. For whatever the Father does, the Son does in like manner. Therefore, in other words, if healing a man on the Sabbath was a sin, then the Father was to blame. Given that, Jesus did nothing outside the will of the Father. Nothing. Call me a blasphemer? You're calling the Father a blasphemer. In verse 20, Christ claims divine omnipotence. Omnipotent. All-powerful ability to give life. Only God can give life. Because only God has life in Himself. In verse 21, Jesus claims equality and sovereign privilege. For as the Father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so the Son gives life to whom He will. Whom He will. That's by divine choice. Now, if claiming to have power to raise the dead wasn't enough, Jesus goes on to claim equality with the Father and divine judgment in verse 22. For the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son. You know, everyone's going to stand fully exposed, Romans 2.16, in the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ. Spiritual rib cages of people torn open and the stench of the depraved heart is going to seep out. Everything will be as an open book. If you're in Christ, that day will never come for you because your sin was judged at Calvary. Calvary, judged, paid for, paid in full, covered by the blood. If you're not in Christ you will face this day. The books will be open. Every thought, every intention, every motive, every word, every deed will be an open book. You will not argue with Christ. But, but, you will not argue. You will bow the knee, you will confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord right into hell. So the encouragement to you today is to take heed and to repent of unbelief. I beg you, because I love you enough to tell you the truth. If we are in Christ, rejoice and purify thyself for the glory of the namesake of Jesus Christ as we prepare to take communion this morning. Jesus goes on to claim equality in yet another area, namely that of equal honor with the Father. Verse 23, All should honor the Son just as they honor the Father, and he who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Finally, Jesus not only claimed equality with the Father and divine honor, but he also claimed to have life-giving Power, the power to raise the dead. In verse 24, Most assuredly I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but here it is, has passed from death into life. 
If you're in Christ, you pass from death to life. Salvation is not God throwing you a life preserver and you're drowning. You're dead. You're at the bottom of the ocean, chained down, dead. He reaches down and he brings life. He breathes life into that dead spiritual carcass. And you're a living, breathing, walking, talking child of God because of the blood of Calvary. Amen is right. It is God who acts first in placing spiritual life within the person whom he draws to himself. So the question, how does the Son impart life? By his word. Because the word which he speaks is spoken not by his own authority, but by the Father's as they operate in perfect harmony, perfect unity. If you've seen my Father, you have seen me, Jesus said. For I and the Father are one. The incident of the paralyzed man at the pool of Bethesda is a sign of this very truth. He received bodily healing through the enabling word of Christ, get up, take up, and walk. There's a physical picture, a physical illustration of the spiritual reality that has raised you from the spiritual dead if you're in Christ. If you're not truly in Christ, you're in the grave today. You're a walking dead man or dead woman. And I pray that God will awaken you today and breathe life into you. So it is through the word that men and women receive life on a spiritual level. Now we're told who these people are to whom the Son chooses to give life. They are those who by faith receive His life-giving word. In other words, they are enabled to hear. He's speaking to the dead. Dead people don't hear, last I knew. I saw my grandfather dead a couple years ago, did his funeral. I shook the casket. He was dead. He was a man who died outside of the faith. A mocker of God. A rebel. He's a dead man. He was a walking dead man. He's dead in Christ. In addition, they receive the assurance that they will not come into judgment. Those who are in Christ, they will not come into judgment. The judgment that is in view here is the unfavorable judgment reserved for those who reject the Son. However, as John 3.18 says, whoever believes in Him is not condemned. Before you came to Christ, you were already condemned. The world is condemned because they don't believe. You're not condemned because you believe. And if you say you believe, your life will reflect that reality. You will manifest fruit of the Spirit. You will manifest someone who's been brought to life. In other words, the true believer has no need to wait for the day of judgment to hear the judge's favorable verdict for it's already been pronounced. Nor do believers need to wait for the great day to experience the essence and the power of resurrection power resurrection life because as verse 24 says they have here and now passed from death into life notice what happens when a person hears the words of Jesus and obeys what he says immediately that person has eternal life right then present tense you know why they obey because they've heard you know why they've heard because God has granted them the ability to hear it's his gift it's his grace all judgment is passed. That person has instantly crossed from death to life. He hears and obeys because he has been given life. People who try and try to do it outwardly 
They fail. They walk away from their supposed faith. They were never of the faith. They were trying to be like a Christian rather than having become one. Being like and becoming are two different things. And they lead to two different places. Now, in verses 25 to 29, of which we will not make it through today, I guarantee you that, um, we have a most fascinating portion of Scripture here. Jesus speaks about four different resurrections. The first, he described the resurrection of lost sinners into eternal life. That's spiritual resurrection, and that will be our focus for this morning. The second resurrection mentioned is the resurrection of our Lord Himself, a literal, physical resurrection, that He has life in Himself. Jesus said, no man takes my life, I, I lay it down freely, and I have the power to what? To raise it up again. Tear down this temple in three days, I will raise it up again. Third resurrection named is a future resurrection of life. When he speaks of believers being raised from the dead. And that resurrection is contingent upon the first spiritual resurrection. There's no spiritual resurrection. There's no physical resurrection. Except for the next, which is the fourth. It's a resurrection of condemnation for already condemned believers. Hence the subject matter here, resurrection. Both physical and spiritual. Now last time, we looked at how Jesus claimed to be equal with God in seven ways, as we reviewed. And in verses 21 and 22, he made two key claims of deity. Two key claims of deity. Number one was the, the power to give life. And number two was the right to judge. You read that in verses 21 and 22. Now, only God is the basis for and the originator of life. And Christ is claiming to have that. Therefore, he's claiming to be God before these hypocrites. Before these Pharisees. So Jesus makes this claim of deity, the fact that he is God, in verses 21 and 22. And he goes on to express them in verse 24 when he says, Whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life. And now, he takes these two key points of his deity and he explains them in verses 25 to 29. He's now going to expound upon these two key truths. So in it, we're going to see two groups of people over the next couple, three weeks. Two groups of people, one God who judges resulting in two destinies of those people, heaven or hell. And this morning, we'll focus on verse... Originally 25 to 27, but in reality, verse 25. <laughs> Verses 25 to 27, we will see four key points of Christ's deity. They're outlined for you in your bulletin. This is the deity of Jesus Christ as he's proclaiming himself to these religious rulers of the day. If you, ever, if you have any friends in your life, cult believers and all that type of thing, who, who deny the fact that Jesus ever declared to be God, take him to John chapter 5 just for starters. Someone I know yesterday sat down on a bench and some Jehovah's Witness came up and sat next to them and started to regurgitate their rhetoric. And the individual from this church sat there and began to defend the deity of Jesus Christ. Get to know John chapter 5. Take them to what he claimed about himself. And the very reason they wanted to kill him was blasphemy declare an equality with the Father. So let's look at point number one. We're speaking of Christ. This is the glory of Christ. This is the power of Christ. And it is Christ that speaks to the spiritually dead. 
Christ speaks to the spiritually dead. Now here we see the resurrection of lost sinners into eternal life. Verse 25a, Most assuredly I say to you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God. Now, for a vivid illustration of this power, of this reality, we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 2. You're very familiar with it. We spent much time in Ephesians a year and a half ago or so. Chapter 2 of Ephesians says, And you, believer, obviously, context believer, and you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you what? Once walked, past tense. According to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by, here it is, nature, we were by nature children of wrath just as the others. No one can escape their sin nature. They have to be delivered from it by God Himself. And that's why we see the word but. We're slaves to that sinful nature. Verse 4, but. But who? But God. Not but one day you woke up and had enough sense about you to go buy a new nature. No, but God. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. And raised us up together, and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come He might show the exceeding riches of His grace, in His kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace... You have been saved through faith. And that faith, that's the word that, is the faith. That, not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. You don't bring faith to the table. He gives you the faith to believe. Salvation is all the grace. Beginning to the end. Justification to glorification. It's all Christ. It's all the grace of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. If someone in your family, a loved one who's not in Christ, you're in Christ, if you think that you had any part in your salvation, you have something to boast about. You can stand up to your unbelieving loved ones and say, I have more sense than you do. You don't have a brain in your head. I have enough brains to know that I need to choose Jesus Christ. Wrong. It's by grace. You have nothing to boast about. None of us. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The lost sinner is lifeless in a helpless corpse. No matter how well an undertaker... I knew someone who used to make people up. They grew up making dead people up to make them look good for their funeral. No matter how good of a job one does in making one up in fancy dress, cosmetics, the person is still dead. And there's no corpse any more dead than the next corpse. Whether you're five minutes dead, five days dead, or five months dead, you're all dead. Amen? There's just more stink with the five month than there's the five minute. There's more stench with a murderer and a rapist than there is with some little goody two-shoes who's just as lost as the street thug. It's just that the little goody two-shoes who doesn't know Christ is more deceived in the street thug because you can pretty much go down to the prison as I've been to many prisons and you can convince a guy that he's a no-good thug 
in need of mercy. But to the little good old little goody two-shoes who carries the Bible and comes to church every week who's spiritually dead is deceived. Much more difficult to reach. But those things that are impossible with man, possible with God. Amen? Therefore, we pray on behalf of those who don't know Christ. That's why we pray for their souls because only He can change them. Amen? Only He can bring them out of the spiritual grave of depravity, death, and ruin. If you're dead, you're dead. The lost sinner is helpless to save himself and totally incapable of resurrecting himself. So how are dead sinners raised from their deadness? By being born again. Unless a man be born again, he cannot even see the kingdom, Jesus said to Nicodemus. In other words, unless a man be born again, he cannot even grasp, understand, or begin to understand the things of God. It's the work of God. So this clarifies for us what man contributes to his, to his salvation. You know what it is? Nothing. It's all God and it's all grace. Man contributes nothing. It's God. No one can work their way into the sight in favor of God. It's a grace gift of Almighty God. Mankind is dead. It's God's word that is living and active and it's the only remedy for life. So that my question to you today is first to the Christian is your heart and mind actively responsive to the word of God if you're not in Christ it's not my hope is today that God's going to change that but believer is your heart and mind actively responsive to his word his word is living it's powerful it cuts deep it raises sinners from spiritual death and it builds God's people up in holiness Hebrews 4.12, For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing, piercing even the division of the soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. He knows your motives. He knows my motives. You can hide nothing. Stephen Lawson says, God's word comforts the afflicted and afflicts the comfortable. Did you hear that? God's word comforts the afflicted and afflicts the comfortable. If you are continually comfortable under the true teaching of God's word, if a person can remain indifferent, uninterested, continuously comforted under the core, hardcore teaching of a message like this one, you're likely dead. Dead. Or deceived in supposing that you have life and you don't and are therefore a spiritually lifeless mortal dangerous place to be you see God's word penetrates the hidden niches and the recesses of the heart deep thoughts and emotions are exposed like an open book but you got to be in it this word is living it's active it's going to purify the believer making us what we already are positionally. Positionally, you're perfectly righteous, forgiven once and for all and forever. Never to be condemned for your sin. You pass from death to life. He's not going to let you stay the same. He won't. If one can remain the same, it's likely that they were never born spiritually. They're dead. 
where it says that the discerner of thoughts here, this is a word from where we get the word critic or critique. His word resides as a judge, critiquing true motives and aspirations, revealing our lives for what they really are. Question. Why do you attend service? I ask myself the same question. Why do we attend service? For what do I pray? Why do I pray? What is your motive in seeking the promises of God? What is your motive in serving God? Is there evidence that Christ has spoken you out of the grave? Do you serve for the glory of God in humility or self-exaltation? Point number two. Christ gives life to the dead. Christ gives life to the dead. And those who hear will what? They will live. Those who hear will live. He speaks to the dead. Those who hear will live. Those who respond have been enabled to respond and they've been enabled to respond to life. Granted life. This is everlasting life. This is spiritual life. Meaning that you can never again die spiritually. Nor can they ever come into judgment. Romans 8 verse 1 There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Okay, notice. It doesn't say there is no condemnation for those who are knowledgeable about Christ, but those who are in Christ. They've been baptized into Christ. Not water baptism, but immersed in Him, taken on a new nature. Christ's nature. That's life. There's no condemnation for those who have that life. He's the only life. The spiritually dead who hear the voice of Christ are raised to spiritual everlasting life. The contrast of the physical resurrection will come in verses 28 and 29. Perhaps next week. To hear His word and believe means salvation. To reject and ignore His word means condemnation. John 12, 48, Jesus said, He who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. The word does not return void. Amen? Now many people say, well I preach the word, it's not going to return void and everyone I preach to is going to get saved. Not true. The word never returns void, but the, wor the word has more than one purpose. It softens and brings people to repentance and it hardens them to unbelief. If you can sit under this type of teaching week after week after week after month after year and remain unconverted, you are in a very dangerous position to having likely been turned over to a hardened heart and a depraved mind. Repent. Repent. You don't want to go be entertained in that condition. You don't want the hairs of your neck standing up in that condition. Because you will be that much more deceived into thinking you're okay. Amen? Jesus is Savior and Master. He is not a mystic genie here to serve the sinner as the Master. Amen? We're not Master. He's Master. We're doulos. We're slave. What rights does a slave have? Zero. Nothing. 
nothing. When a person is saved, he's freed from the bondage of sin and death and slavery to Satan, and he becomes a slave of Christ, and he enjoys the riches of the Master forever. Forever. Here and now, brothers and sisters, right now, joy, abiding joy, as we abide in the vine, we're the branch, he's the vine, abide in me and I knew and your joy may be full. Life that's in the vine comes up in and through the branches and comes out as fruit of the Spirit. Fruit of the Spirit. You know, when a Christian attempts to serve two masters, he actually creates resentment, anger, and bitterness and dislike towards God. If you claim to be in Christ and you are trying to serve two masters, you want a little bit of Jesus, and you're holding on with a white knuckle grip to this, that, or the other thing, person, place, or thing, you will end up resenting Christ. And you will begin to blame your problems and your failures on Christ. Jesus said in Luke 16, 13, No servant can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. If you're devoted to anything besides Christ, you will eventually despise Christ. You cannot serve God in money. You can't serve God in money. You can't serve God in anything or anybody. Amen? It's been well said that joy comes from a consistent relationship with Jesus Christ. When our lives are intertwined with His, He will enable us to walk through adversity without sinking into debilitating lows. And to manage prosperity without moving into deceptive highs. The joy of abiding in Christ will keep us level-headed. Here's life. Here's life. Amen? Here's life. Up and down. Up and down. Up and down. It's a roller coaster ride, man, of emotions. Hurts, pains, lies, deception. A world system contrary to Christ that hates Christ. And in Christ, we can live like this. Straight line. With joy. With joy. I hate it when I complain. Don't you hate it when you complain? I complain. I convicted to the core. I'm like, what a baby. Speaking to myself. What a baby. Why am I complaining? I got Christ. He's got me. He's never going to let me go. I have life in Him. His life is in me. I got His power. And I'm going to complain? I hate it. A wicked man that I am, who would deliver me from this body of death? The things I want to do, those things I don't do, the things I don't do, those things I end up doing, oh, mercy. Come on now. So when does this spiritual resurrection take place that Christ is talking about? Here we see a time factor. He says the hour is coming and now is. This portion of the text is not referring to the hour of a physical resurrection. But rather the resurrection that was and was yet to continue in fullness. Christ is the only one who has the power to make them alive. So therefore the hour is now when he was standing there. The hour is now. He's the resurrection and the life. He's the power. This was a new era. It had arrived. But yet it was to come in full force. The full expression of the new era didn't really begin until Pentecost. 
or the resurrection of Christ actually, and then we even see it in the grander perspective at Pentecost. It says a time is a coming. We see at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. We witness the full expression of it. A new era where Peter reached, preached the word of Christ in Acts 2.41 and afterwards, then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. Not 3,000 bodies, souls. There's bodies filling up buildings today on the Lord's day. Many of which are dead. Jesus goes on to say that this time which is coming has come now. This is to say it was already happening during the earthly ministry of Jesus Christ. He had already begun to give the gift of life. He called the disciples to himself. They came and they were following. He gave the message of living water to the woman at the well. She goes on to get those in town. He goes and spends two days with them. The Samaritans, they heard his word and they believed. That's life. Spiritual life. That's everlasting life. The noblemen of, Her of Herod's court, whose son was dying. Jesus healed his son and believed together with his entire family. Time had come. The time was now. The time was then. In John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am what? The life. He didn't say, I will be the life. He said, I am the life. He has life in himself. He's always the life, always will be the life, and always has been the life. Amen? Pre-cross or post-resurrection, he is the life and the only giver of spiritual life. In John 5, 24, remember, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. He doesn't say, he who will hear, but he who hears. He was in the process then of making alive his sheep. Amen? He was in the process then of making alive his sheep, just as he is in the process today of calling and transforming his sheep. And what's more, long before the cross, Christ was then also giving spiritual life. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. Nothing made that was made without Him. Amen? In the Old Testament, we see that God credited righteousness to the account of Abraham. In Genesis 15.6, And he, Abraham, believed in the Lord, and he accounted it to him for righteousness. We see the same thing in Romans chapter 4, verse 3. Isaiah 55.3, listen to this. Incline your ear and come to me here and your soul shall live. Your soul shall live. So as a result, an invitation that was once given through the prophet Isaiah achieves fresh fullness of meaning in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. The fulfillment of all things. Another prophet, Ezekiel. You think ministry is so hard today? People complain. Go look at the life of Jeremiah or Ezekiel. You'll close your mouth real quick. This guy preached to the bleakest congregation that a preacher could ever face. I spent a few days with about 120 different pastors from around the country and I was 
My heart went out to those brothers. Preaching the word, verse by verse, people are just dead. They're, they're in Christ, but they just seem dead. They're just stagnant. Let alone does, do any of them have like a group of solid men who are the backbone of the church. I couldn't identify with them, man. Praise God. I encouraged them, but I couldn't identify with them. Because I'm supported by some backbone. Men. Ezekiel 37. The Lord instructs Ezekiel, prophesy to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones. Now watch this. Surely I will cause breath to enter into you and you shall what? Live. I will put sinews on you, which is tendons, ligaments, and muscles, and bring flesh upon you, cover you with skin, and put breath into you. And you shall live. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. It's not then you shall know that you have a great intellect. No, then you shall know I'm God. I'm Lord. It's only by the breath of Almighty God that this group was even able to respond. Amen? This is the same Spirit who enables the spiritually dead today to hear the voice of the Son of God and to enter into life. Spiritual resurrection from the dead. Jesus said, when Jesus said the hour is coming and now is, that hour cannot be pushed into some time slot. It was the beginning hour of an era and we're still living in that era of life. Is it true that Jesus gave life then? Spiritual life? Is it true He gave life then? Amen. Is it true that He, the same Christ, the once and for all Christ, the only Christ, gives life today? Amen. He does. The spiritual resurrection then can occur at any time from the time that Christ stood before those Pharisees prior to His earthly visitation to the last man who will ever believe the hour is coming and now is. God's elect are a specified number. That He chose before the foundation of the earth. You and I don't know who the elect are. You didn't even know you were elect until you were redeemed, amen? <laughs> you didn't even know what elect meant. We preached it all, amen? God knows who His elect are. He'll save those that are His. We preach the gospel. The general call goes out. Not everyone's going to be saved by the general call. You can only be saved by the effectual call, the inward call, the personal, intimate call of Christ. People go, how do I know if I'm elect? Non-believers. Repent of your sins, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and continue to walk with Him. It will prove that you're elect. You walk out from Him, you say you were saved for a while and walked out, you were never saved. Because if you're a believer and you walk out for a while and God crushes you and hammers you, it's because He loves you. And that's to bring you back to repentance. Because you are a child of God. People can just blazingly walk away dust off their little shoulder to Jesus Christ say well I used to be a Christian there's no such thing as used to be a Christian you never were well I accepted Jesus was on 8 and then I went and lived a crazy life and then I came back to him no it's most likely you got saved at that later date you had a knowledge about him amen and I don't know only he knows but those that are who truly his they will walk they will abide they will bear fruit so again, the full expression of the new era began at the death and resurrection of Christ and the outpouring of the Spirit of Pentecost. 
And the word of Jesus that brings life to those who hear and believe will be preached and is already being preached then and it's being preached today and I'm preaching the same message today that Christ preached to those hypocrites. Notice it says that these groups of people are dead. That's amazing. Speaking of dead people, spiritually dead. Most assuredly I say to you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead, the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Those who respond have been enabled to respond. And they've been able to respond, they will stand up, take up, and walk. So in Scripture, these words are used to describe an unbelieving person. They don't know Christ. He gives them life to believe. You know, spiritual deadness is to be irresponsible, irresponsive or totally frozen to the things of God. It amazes me the people that can sit week after week under the teaching, sound teaching, not entertainment, but true teaching of the Word and remain in a place of unbelief. My heart goes out to them. I plead to God for them. That hardness, that being turned over. Just as physical deadness does not respond to bodily stimulus, likewise, spiritual deadness is the total inability of man to respond to God. You cannot do it outside of the supernatural work of God drawing you. Not wooing is taught, oh, Jesus is wooing. He wooed me. He didn't woo you. He pulled you out of the tomb. Amen? That's salvation. Ephesians 5.14 says, Awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. It's the gift of life. Notice, it's a gift. It's the gift of life that enables people to arise from spiritual deadness. It's a gift. We rejoice. We come together. This is a hospital, man. This is a hospital of a bunch of sinners saved by grace. Amen? We still, we, we have faults. We have flaws. We come here to get built up in the truth of Scripture to allow, to, to, to come to respond to God's refining work in and through our lives. He's going to make you holy. You know why? Because you are holy. It's not your own holiness. It's not my holiness. It's the holiness of Jesus Christ that covers you. He's not going to let you stay the same. Right? You will not remain the same if you're made alive. Just as a baby that's born from the womb cannot remain a toddler. Just as a puppy, as cute as they are, does not remain a puppy. They grow, don't they? My daughter got kind of bummed once our dog grew up. Someone who's brought out of spiritual deadness cannot remain the same. They grow because there's life in them. If they don't grow, it's evident that there's no life in them. He's the light that reveals who, what, and where you are. And it's this effectual call of the heart that entails saving faith, faith granted by grace. John chapter 10, verse 4, Jesus said the sheep follow him. Context, talking about a true shepherd. The sheep follow him for they know his voice. I was in Turkey a couple years ago. You can take two shepherds. They can come and have lunch together. Each of them can have a, can have a hundred sheep that they herd, that they shepherd. They can hum and come and have little sandwiches together and all these sheep, 100 from here and 100 from here, intermingle. And now you've got 200 sheep. And if you didn't know better, you'd pull your hair out going, oh, no, how am I going to do this? All the shepherd has to do is go, ha ha, let's go. And they respond to his voice. His voice. 
In John 10, 14, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep and am known by my own. In John 10, 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. If you're a Christian, if you profess to be a Christian and you do believe that Jesus Christ is the only way but you say, for me. But for my friends who have other beliefs, so long as they're genuine, they're going to get to heaven too. You better repent of that thinking or you're not saved. Thus saith the Lord. Can't share this verse enough. Second John, verse 9. Whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. Proper Christology agrees with the fact that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life and no one comes to the Father except through me, he said. 2 John 9. His sheep hear his voice. Does your life, my question, does your life reflect someone who has heard the voice of the Son of the living God? Again, many people who hear that outward call. This is an outward call today. This is an outward call from my lips. This is an outward call. This is the authoritative truth of Scripture. The hope is it will have an effect of an inward call on your life to transform your life if you're not in Christ. If you're in Christ, hopefully you'll be edified by this truth. And you will rest in the assurance that He provides that you're His. So Christians, I say to you, are you a slave of Christ? Are you a submissive servant of Christ? and a minister of his church? Disciples one day asked Jesus why he spoke to the masses in parables. And he answered in Matthew 13, 14, and in them the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled. In them is the masses. The prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, Hearing you will heal and hear and shall not understand. Seeing you will see, but you will not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing and their eyes have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn. So that I should heal them. Repentance. Again, how do I know if I'm elect? The non-believer says. Repent of your sins, believe and follow Christ and He'll grant you the assurance that you're His. So the capacity to hear the voice of the Son of God corresponds with the power of the voice that speaks. The true God. The only Son of God. It's His voice. Calls His sheep to Himself. In other words, His voice is the life-giving voice. It's the only reason that the dead are unable to hear at all. And by hearing, they live. Eternally. So what's the first point of these verses then? It is that the control of divine life begins with God's action, not man's. It begins with the action of God. In other words, eternal life is not some reward for believing. Belief and faith is the prize of having been given life. When He gives you life, He gives you faith. The prize of life is belief. The prize of everlasting life 
is faith. Granted by Him. Life comes first. person believes in response to that life. You can respond because He granted you life. If you don't know Christ today, I pray that He's convicting you to the core and that you're being drawn to Him today by His mercy and His grace. Abiding in Christ, growing in Him, He's the vine, produces spiritual fruit because the life is in the vine. He believes because God has first placed that life in him or her. Are you inwardly alive? Are you alive today? Do you know for certain you're alive today? Has Christ made you alive? Does your, does your life validate his life in you? We're coming to the Lord's table here in a bit. This is the time for self-examination. All these buildings that blanket America, it's time to examine thyself to see if you're in the faith. Now we're blessed, because I know many of you in here, and I know many that are true believers, and I praise God for that. Still, examine yourself. You have fruit of the Spirit? Did the Beatitudes reflect your life? Poor in spirit, full of mercy? full of meekness, hungering, thirsting for righteousness, a peacemaker, declaring the truth of the gospel of Christ, living it? Are you a living temple or a decorated tomb? You can be saved and you're faking it. Not walking in the Spirit. Full of the flesh. Given to the flesh. You must repent. Come to the Lord's table. He paid the price. May we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. Amen? And allow Him to purify us. Because I tell you what, you resist, He'll purify you. He will make you holy. So let's do a little test as we prepare to come to the table this morning. That's point two. We'll get to the rest next week. That was verse 25. We'll get to verse 26 next week. Turn to 1 John. Does your life prove life? Does your physical life prove spiritual life? I got chewed up by this Tuesday. So I walked myself through a test and I'm going to walk you through the test. 1 John 1 verse 5 This is the message which we have heard from Him and declare to you that God is light and in Him there is no darkness at all. If... If we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But, if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. Verse 8, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Chapter 2, verse 3. This is a test of knowing Christ. Verse 3. Now, by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. Is this working for salvation or working from salvation? This is working from salvation. 
You can't gain salvation. You can't earn salvation. The only reason you can uphold His commandments is because the Holy Spirit resides in you, enabling you to do so. You don't work for it. You work from it. You don't work for the cross. You work from the cross. Verse 4. He who says that I know Him and does not keep His commandments is a liar. The truth is not in Him. But whoever keeps His word, truly the love of God is perfected in Him. By this we know that we are in Him. That's assurance. You can know for certain that you're in Him. You don't pass this test. Examine thyself. Cry out to God. Ask Him to reveal to you, Lord, am I in or am I out? I didn't mean to stutter. Am I in or am I out? Am I am I out? <laughs> Verse 6. He who says he abides in Him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. Verse 9, He who says he is in the light and hates his brothers in darkness until now. Do you hate your fellow brothers and sisters? Do you have resentment and bitterness against those in the body? Repent. Amen? Verse 10, He who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. You'll be bumbling and stumbling and tripping over your own tongue and your own feet if you have hatred and resentment for your brothers and sisters in Christ. Verse 11. But he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. He's blind and claims to be of the light. Verse 15, chapter 2. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is what? Partially with him? No. Not in him. Worldliness is a heart condition. It's just not this outward, outward type of behaviors and stuff. It comes from the inside. There's a love for worldliness if one manifests worldliness. From out of the heart. It's from out of the mouth speaks the what? Heart. Verse 16. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, it's not of the Father, but it's of the world. Verse 17, And the world is passing away in the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. The reason he abides forever is because he bears fruit that he's abiding in the vine, the one who is forever, you see. Unless one repents and is living in worldliness of which is passing away, they also will pass away into eternal condemnation. Verse 18, Little children... It is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. Context, immediate context, false teachers. Wherever there's false teachers, there's false converts. Verse 28. And now, little children, abide in him, and when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. Spiritual life. Chapter 3, verse 2. Beloved, now we are children of God. It's not yet been revealed what we shall be. We know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Everyone who has this hope in him, what? Purifies himself just as he is pure. 
Brothers and sisters in Christ, you're positionally righteous. You'll never be more righteous in Christ than you are right now. You'll never be more righteous in Christ positionally than the day that you were born again. That's the imputed righteousness of Christ placed upon your account. It doesn't get any better than that. We're called to walk in a manner worthy of that calling. We're called to live in response to our position. We must constantly be purified, amen? We must constantly be purifying ourselves by His grace, by His grace. Verse 5, And you know that He was manifest to take away our sins, and in Him there is no sin. Whoever abides in Him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen Him nor knows Him. Okay, now the sin we're talking about here, we're not talking about... Now, we're, we're all flawed, amen? We sin every day. The sin we're talking about here is a practice, a habitual uh, um, um, rebellion against God. In other words, if someone lives a life, lives their life, they make some profession of faith and their life never changes, there's no evidence that they're truly saved. I don't care what they think or what they felt. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous just as he is righteous. He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whoever has been born of God does not sin. He's no longer in rebellion, for his seed remains in him and he cannot sin because he's been born of God. You know why? The practice of sin has been replaced by a new nature. Christ's nature. Verse 10, In this the children of God and the children of the devil are made manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. For the sake of time, let's jump to chapter 5, verse 3. For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments, and His commandments, they're not burdensome. You know why? Because the Spirit of God indwells you. The law is not an outward thing. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that, he is, that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Verse 18, to conclude, We know that whosoever born of God does not sin, but he who has been born of God keeps himself, and the wicked one does not touch him. We know that we are of God, and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we may know Him who is true. And we are in Him who is true. In His Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourself from idols. Amen. Cannot serve two masters. So brothers and sisters in Christ, may we purify ourselves today as we come to the Lord's table. If you don't know Jesus Christ today, as I ask the men to come forward, you must confess your sin to Him. You must believe who it is He claimed to be. He's God in the flesh. He went to the cross. He took the sins of all who will ever believe. He died. And he rose again from the dead, proving who He claimed to be the one and only Son of God. And it's only through Him that you can have a righteous standing before God. So I'm going to ask that you join me in prayer. Father, we thank You for Your divine, sovereign plan of salvation. We thank You for Your living, active Word. 
We thank you for the body of Jesus Christ, the church, the true church, throughout the world. And Lord, I cry out for so many throughout this land who profess to know you, but they're deceived. We know that they're deceived because you said they're deceived, and we know that they're deceived because Paul also said by inspiration of the Holy that many are deceived. I pray that you'll open the eyes of anyone in this room who doesn't know you this morning. Reveal to them the condition of their heart, the deadness of their soul, and I pray that you'll breathe life into them. Open their eyes that they may see. Give them ears to hear so they may understand and they may turn to you, the only living God. And Lord, I ask that as we prepare to take the bread and take the cup, may we examine ourselves. Purify us, Lord, by your grace. We need grace. We thank you that you provide grace. We need it every day. May we grow in humility. May we grow in submission. May we grow in grace. All for your glory. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.